Hello and welcome to the latest podcast in our Norton Rose Fulbright EMEA Regulatory Insights Series. My name is Simon Lovegrove and I'm the Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge here at Norton Rose Fulbright. In our EMEA Regulatory Insights Series, colleagues from our financial services team across our EMEA offices provide an update on the key regulatory issues they're seeing in their local market. Today, we're going to briefly focus on the United Kingdom. And for this, I'm very pleased to be joined by Hannah Meakin and Matthew Gregory, partners in our London Financial Services team. Welcome to both of you. There is a huge amount going on in the UK regulatory space at the moment, and we can't possibly cover everything in the time that we have today. But I thought it might be useful for our listeners if we started by touching on where the UK currently stands as regards EU financial services law. Hannah, I wondered if you could say a few words on this, given that you have been looking at EU-UK regulatory divergence through your very popular Spit the Difference podcast. Yes, of course. Thank you, Simon. And hello, everyone. So obviously, there are a number of ongoing reforms to the UK's financial services framework, including the implementation of the UK government's smarter regulatory framework under the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023 and the Edinburgh and Mansion House reforms. So the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023 provides a framework to repeal retained EU law relating to financial services. Through the Smarter Regulatory Framework, retained EU law will be generally replaced by the FCA's and the PRA's rules or new legislation that's tailored to the UK. So a number of papers in connection with the repeal of EU law were published by the UK regulators and HM Treasury last year. For instance, the FCA engaged the market on its approach to rules under a new public offer of securities framework, and the FCA published last December a policy statement for a consolidated tape for bonds. And if you take a look at the UK's latest regulatory initiatives grid, you can see that many more papers on various initiatives are expected this year. So as always, the, the, detail, the devil will be in the detail when looking at these new measures. And the key question is, I think, really going to be, where does the UK regime diverge from the EU? Thanks, Hannah. As you say, there's more to come, including the government delivering on a number of outstanding commitments under the Edinburgh reforms, including the repeal of the PRIPS regulation and the introduction of a new UK retail disclosure regime. On that note, I think we should bring in Matthew Gregory, our resident retail expert. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, we could spend all day discussing the proposed new retail disclosure regime, but for the moment, I just remind everyone, we saw a draft statutory instrument last November, which grants the FCA the power to construct and deliver a new retail disclosure framework for consumer composite investments, as they'll be known, which will replace the UK PRIPS regime. And whilst it looks very similar to the existing UK PRIPS rules, there are some differences. So as Hannah mentioned a moment ago, the devil's in detail on those. Another Edinburgh reform topic I wanted to pick up on was the advice guidance boundary review. The government is committed to working with the FCA to close the so-called advice gap and examine the boundary between regulated financial advice and financial guidance. And the FCA's financial life survey found a very interesting statistic in the sense that only 8% of UK consumers received full financial advice in 2022. HM Treasury and the FCA acknowledge that there is an advice gap under the current regulatory regime, resulting from a dichotomy between holistic advice on the one hand and information and guidance on the other. 
Holistic advice is where the consumer is provided with a view on the merits of a particular product or course of action, whereas information and guidance is described as an impartial service to help a consumer identify their options and narrow their choices without telling them what to do or which product to buy. The gap between the two is said to exist partly because firms are deterred from providing greater support to consumers for fear of inadvertently crossing the advice boundary, which would mean complying with more onerous regulatory requirements, and also because consumers are choosing not to access financial advice, generally due to an unwillingness to pay for it or a perception that they would not benefit from it. The review also provides an opportunity to rethink the way support is delivered to consumers and take advantage of new and emerging technologies to enhance consumer experiences and outcomes. Hanno, in December, the FCA and the HM Treasury issued a policy paper on the topic. Yes, in December, HM Treasury and the FCA uh, did issue a policy paper, and that was really seeking views on three key proposals. So the first one was further clarifying when firms can give consumer support without giving regulated financial advice. The uh, second was a new approach to allowing firms to provide support tailored to groups of people in similar circumstances. And then the third was a new form of simplified advice intended to make it easier for firms to provide affordable personal recommendations to clients with more straightforward needs and smaller sums to invest. So the deadline for comments on this policy paper is 28th February this year, 2024. Um, And the review is a substantial piece of work for the UK regulators because it has the potential to lead to a wholesale restructuring of the regulatory framework for advice and guidance, which really underpins a lot of uh, financial services. So the policy paper reflects these high level proposals and early thinking at this stage. So there's, there's still some way to go, but it's definitely one that we all need to be keeping an eye on. Okay, another area I wanted to briefly pick up on was ESG. Now, last November, the FCA published its final rules and guidance on sustainability disclosure requirements and investment labels. It also published an anti-greenwashing rule. Rather than come into effect immediately, as was previously consulted, the anti-greenwashing rule comes into effect on 31st of May this year, although when you think about it, that isn't very far away at all. The FCA also published a guidance consultation setting out proposed new guidance on the anti-greenwashing rule. That consultation is now closed. Matt, we recently issued a new online briefing note on the anti-greenwashing rule, and with only a couple of months to go, firms should at least be considering which of their communications fall within the new rule and what enhancements to them need to be made. What else do you think firms should be thinking about? Thanks, Simon. I I mean, there are a number of things to think about. For instance, firms need to be now thinking about their marketing and client communications, as you mentioned, but also public disclosures, uh, product approval and oversight processes, and governance, oversight and client reporting. Critically, the FCA hasn't provided a specific list of terms before within the anti-greenwashing rule, and instead, uh, the FCA state that it will apply to references to environmental and or social characteristics of financial products or services, Arguably, that makes compliance more difficult for firms who need to make their own assessment of what's in scope. And, and it's not just in relation to terminology. The scope of the comms has to be very wide in the sense that sustainability-related references can be present in, say, statements, assertions, strategies, targets, policies, information, and images. And there's more than all of that in our online briefing note. We've also been developing an automated tool which will help firms to review and rag rate all communications to identify sustainability-related language or in, images. And so 
if anybody's interested in discussing that further, then of course, please do drop us a line. And Hannah, there is also the new sustainability disclosure requirements or SDR, which come into effect later. Yes, there is a labelling regime for sustainable investment products and rules relating to consumer facing product and entity level disclosures. We don't have time to go through these in detail on this podcast, but we are providing training on the new rules. So if any clients are interested, then, then please get in touch with us. But I think for present purposes, it's worth mentioning that many firms that conduct cross-border business that are in scope of the new UK SDR rules will be thinking about how the UK regime compares with other regimes, particularly the SFDR regime in the EU. In the FCA's policy paper, they tried to map the requirements of the UK SDR to the EU SFDR. In their earlier consultation, the FCA had also tried to set out how Articles 6, 8 and 9 funds under the EU SFDR could map to the UK's proposed labels. However, the key problem is that the UK regime is a labelling regime, whereas EU SFDR is a disclosure regime. And so it's not really a question of kind of mapping uh, the requirements because we're not really comparing like for like. Perhaps one thing to keep an eye on is that the European Commission has launched a review of the EU SFDR regime, and it will be interesting to see if this ultimately leads to product categories that are conceptually closer to the UK's labelling regime. Thanks, Hannah. And also as part of the UK's approach to ESG, both the FCA and the PRA are looking at diversity and inclusion in the financial services sector, and more on that can be found on our DNI hub on the Northern Rose Fulbright website. As John Cleese said in Monty Python's Flying Circus, and now for something completely different. I just wanted to end this podcast by touching on a recent development in the consumer credit space, specifically motor finance. As a practice, the London team has a thriving consumer credit practice. And Matthew, I know we are doing a separate podcast on it, but for today's purposes, I just wanted to get your initial take on the FCA's recent policy statements of now temporary complaint handling rules for motor finance. Yeah, thanks, Simon. I'm also reminded when you do these of the sketch of nobody expects, expects a Spanish Inquisition. Um, so by way of background on this one, the FCA has published a policy statement setting out temporary changes to the handling rules for most finance complaints, which apply while the FCA uses its powers under Section 166 of FISMA to review historic motor finance commission arrangements and sales across several firms. This conduct-focused review and the temporary rules around complaint handling are the regulators' response to a high number of complaints from customers to motor finance firms over time, claiming that compensation uh, due to historic, potentially unfair commission arrangements should be in scope of a review. Firms affected by the changes will need to familiarise themselves with and ensure they're able to comply with obviously all of the temporary rules which are now in effect. Importantly, there are a number of read-across implications following the false decisions which gave rise to the FCA's action for firms operating outside the motor finance space. For example, the use of discretionary commission models uh, is considered to to create inherent conflicts of interests. Um, This was really part of the the false decisions that I mentioned a moment ago, as brokers are incentivized to set higher interest rates um, than a lender uh, might have accepted. So firms using discretionary commission models need to consider the themes arising from the policy statement and ensure their use of these models don't trigger any of those concerns. Uh, As you said, Simon, there's going to be a separate podcast on all of this where we'll delve into more of the detail. Thanks, Matt. So that concludes this podcast. My thanks to Hannah and Matthew for sharing their thoughts today. Please look out for further updates and podcasts on topics we have covered today on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. 
We've also published an online briefing note which looks at 10 regulatory topics for 2024 that will have a significant impact on institutions operating in the UK's financial services space. This can also be found on the Regulation Tomorrow blog. If you would like to discuss anything that we covered today, please do get in touch with either Hannah, Matthew or myself, and we would be happy to assist. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye.